0: Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Sophie coming back this week. How are you? Today we're talking about some interesting parenting things. They're called the pitfalls of parenting. I want to know, like, do you ever really find it difficult? Because I certainly do as a parent, those navigations of everyday decisions. How much bedtime? What time? Bedtime. How much video games? Playtime? Homework? Do I do homework with my child? Do I scream and get a headache and do all of those... A project that my child got sent home to do, or do I micromanage them, or do I let them go and let, let's see where they go? I mean, all of those things, it can make you crazy after a while. I also find that many people, including myself, get trapped within the concept of discipline, like when, how much, all of those kinds of things. There are tons of questions that we're going to answer today when we're talking about potential parenting Pitfalls. One eight five five Sophie Now or one eight five five seven six seven four nine six six. Every caller gets a free copy of my book side by side, the Mother Daughter Conflict Resolution Book. And who doesn't need that, especially in potential parenting pitfalls, the triple Ps. So joining me today is Elizabeth Pantley. She's a parenting educator. She's the president of Better Beginnings Incorporated, which is a family resource and education company. Elizabeth frequently speaks to parents at schools, hospitals, groups around the world. She's a regular radio show guest, so and she'll know what she's doing today then. She's also a parenting expert in newspapers and magazines. She's contributed to The Successful Child, written by Dr. William Sears. She's got a ton of books, about, I think, 8 and about 18 languages. She's going to tell us more, but she's got all the answers to our parenting pitfall questions. Elizabeth, you with us?
1: I'm with you. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great.
0: Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Tell me a little bit about you before we start piling on the questions.
1: Well, probably the thing that's most important is I am a mother. I ah. have two daughters and two sons, and they are as different from each other as day, night, afternoon, and chewing gum. So when you have four of your own to experiment with, I think you'll learn a few things along the way.
0: That's the best way to do it.
1: It is indeed, and then I've written 12 books Ooh, 12. and parenting, and each one I use a big group of test families that I work with, and we try out different ideas and thoughts, and it's a great way to put ideas together, what really works in the real world.
0: Absolutely, because that's the bottom line, what really works in the real world, because everything can sound great on paper when you give a lecture, but when you're in that trench, you need some tools. Absolutely. So. I guess I want to ask you the biggest thing. Like what do you say to parents when they say, "Should I keep my child in bed with me?" They well, want to that's sleep Well, that's
1: with a us. great question and it's a real personal answer because every family is different. What I tell a family is if your child is sleeping well, and you're both sleeping well, and everyone in the house is happy and healthy, don't change a thing, no matter what anybody else says. But
0: what if they, they feel guilt? But if you guilt? have
1: sleep problems, you're getting kicked in the head, the baby's waking up eight times a night, you can't sleep, you're groggy and tired all day, gosh darn it, something needs to change.
0: Okay, but what do you tell people that say, well, but, you know, I read these books that I'm, I'm making my kid dependent on me, they're not going to get out of my bed, they, they're, I can't have sex with my partner, that kind of stuff.
1: Well, first of all, you can't have sex because there's lots of other rooms and times.
2: That's true. And a lot
1: of family bed families have eight and ten children, so something's obviously working there. That's right. But the fact is, is that you need to do what works for your family. And children are healthy and happy who sleep in a crib just as they are who sleep in the family bed. So it's really more about all day, every day, and all the interactions you have with your children. And when they're ready to move out of the bed or you're ready to move them out, that you do it and you don't prolong the agony because you don't know how.
0: Well, that, that's great. And I agree. Do you give them a, like a age timeline? By a certain age, they should be in their own bed? Or do you just kind of let it be organic about what families believe?
1: I think it should be very organic because in a lot of other countries, usually children move out of their parents' beds at five or six years old. Most of us, though, you know, are ready way before that. And so there is no guideline that says you must adhere to this um, because most children want their independence and most parents really want theirs as well. And so it usually happens naturally anytime between babyhood and toddlerhood.
0: Okay. And then... So it should be a pretty much guilt-free process.
1: Absolutely. But when you're ready, just do it. And if your child is ready, if they start wandering down to their own room, don't stop them. A lot of parents do like, oh, my gosh, I miss him. Where is he going all of a sudden?
0: Uh, See, that leads me to my next question. How often in dealing with these things you know, in the trenches when you're talking to people or writing these books, do you see that the real core issue ends up being some couple issue between the, the mother and father?
1: Very, very often.
0: And what do you do then?
1: Well, then the first thing you need to do is sit down and discuss what are our real goals. And the first one is good sleep for everyone. Um, if dad is not sleeping well because the baby's between them and waking them up five times a night, and mom doesn't care, well, it's a problem because it's not working for everyone. And so you need to look at the whole family unit and say, you know, are we all doing well? And if we're not, we need to make a change. It's time to sit down and write out our goals. What's most important to us and our family and how can we achieve that?
0: Okay. And then what do you do if you discover somewhere in there that mom and dad have issues? Mom's really got that child in the bed because she doesn't really want to have to interact and be intimate with her husband. Do you ever run across those kinds of things?
1: I do, and then they send them to someone like you. Ah, okay. (laughs) I do the the parenting. I can give you the tips on how to help your child move out of your bed. But as far as making that decision, that's really up to the family.
0: Right. And how often would you say that you do see these things that you do have to refer to people like me or like? Not very often. It may
1: be because people um, know when there's a problem that's deeper than, gosh, you know, the toddler keeps coming into our bed in the middle of the night. We need to figure out how to stop it. Versus, this is a really issue between the couple so I think that people have a gut feeling whether this is just a parenting issue or is it really a couple issue got it
0: okay some more questions so like how many times do you think that it happens that parents expect more from their child like they look at this child and they try to reason and they don't understand why this kid doesn't basically get it and you
1: oh uh, all the time yeah. all the time and I think I mean, it has a lot to do with what people tell you exactly you should, you shouldn't, you ought right. to, and we get so much feedback from so many different people and places—our mother-in-law, our neighbor, the lady at daycare—and we get confused. And right. I tell people, go inwards to your core family and look at things from your viewpoint and make that decision.
0: Right, and and it, again, it should be guilt-free. It should be based on what is right for you and your your husband and and your immediate family.
1: Right, and you know, you know, motherhood and fatherhood has its guilt. There's no doubt. You know, if the baby really wants to be up all night with you, but you really need your sleep and the baby's very unhappy and you're obviously making changes that he doesn't want you to make, there's always a little bit of guilt, but that's part of what comes along with parenthood.
0: And why do you think parents don't see that a 2-year-old has a 2-year-old brain sometimes and remember that? Like, say, you know, he's 2, he's not going to get that concept. So, like, when I'm saying whatever, do this, this, and this, and they're not doing it, they get upset, they get frustrated. How do you get parents to understand that a two-year-old has a two-year-old brain that functions like a two-year-old?
1: Right. Part of it is, I think, um, having parents research into what's normal, what milestones are normal, what actions are normal. Your toddler, for instance, isn't having a tantrum and he's not doing it to you or because of you or to make you angry. He's doing it because he wants the cookie and you're not giving it to him. Very simple.
0: Exactly. It's that black and white. Mm -hmm. And that's what... I have a very difficult time understanding why, you know, where parents get derailed in that process. And they start to think that there's this deeper kind of meaning. And he's a two year old. He he wants his cookie. He doesn't know any other coping skill. And that's what two year olds do.
1: Right, and I tell parents, what were you doing two years ago? Oh, and they can tell me, oh, that's when I went on my vacation to Mexico, and that's when we moved into the new house. And I said, two years isn't a very long time. That's how long your child has been on this earth. Right. I mean, he doesn't know very much. Right. And he's just going, you know, day by day, what do I need, what do I want, what makes me happy? He's right. not got the deep thought processes that you do.
0: Right. He, there's, no, there's very little, if any, premeditation to anything.
1: Right, I'm hungry, I eat, I'm tired, I sleep, I want to play, I do. Exactly.
0: The other last question before we take some voicemails, if you're okay with that, or live calls, is how many times do you run into, and, and I see this a lot, of pediatricians, I'll have parents who come to me who have had issues with either developmental issues or whatever, behavioral parenting, and the pediatrician or their primary care doc has said to them, don't worry, they'll outgrow it. And then there's maybe something else there, maybe they will outgrow it. What do you think about all
1: that? Well, I think there's a balance. I think part of it is we have to understand that pediatricians are schooled in health and medical. So if you go to your doctor for advice on, you know, sleep issues or what baby food to give your baby, you're going to get his or her opinion based on his life experience. And so you have to separate medical issues versus parenting issues. And also understand that doctors and medical professionals see a lot of parents and a lot of children. So if your child isn't walking at a year old and he says, oh, no problem, I see this all the time, relax and listen and say, okay. But, you know, that's what books are for. That's what the Internet's for. That's what support groups are for. Once you start asking other parents questions, you find out, hey, guess what? We're normal.
0: Absolutely. And normal might not have some clear definition. It has parameters that you fall within.
1: It does indeed, because my children, all four of them, walked and talked at very different stages. A couple were really early talkers. A couple were very late talkers. But, you know, by kindergarten, they're all talking a blue streak.
0: And that's what
2: matters.
1: And so it's not a competition.
0: Right. And at the end of the day, it's in the rearview mirror when everybody's talking.
1: Absolutely.
0: What is your basic concept in belief about uh, discipline?
1: Well, first we have to define discipline, and it basically means to teach. And if you look at it that way, every interaction you have with your child every single day of your life is discipline. What you do, what you say, your actions, your child is learning from watching you and talking to you. And so understand that children basically, as we said before, aren't having a tantrum or misbehaving to annoy you. You look a little deeper and say, gee, why is he putting paper clips in the DVD player? Right. And then you say, whoa, well, he's seen me put things in the DVD player. He's trying to be like me. Right. So, this really isn't a situation of discipline as much as it is about teaching. Right. So, getting into your child's head a little bit and saying, you know, how is he thinking? What is going on here?
0: It's uh, the same thing that we talked about before there's no premeditation.
1: There's not. Very, very little. Not in the early years and early childhood. Now, if we're talking about teenagers, a little bit different story. But when we're talking about young children, you just want to dig a little bit deeper and find out, oh, he's having a tantrum. Gosh, we haven't had lunch. It's past nap time. He's tired and hungry equals tantrum.
0: Right. And that's all it is.
1: Absolutely. All
0: right. Let's take a caller. Her name is Renee, and she's having trouble with a six-year-old. Renee, are you with
3: us? Yes, I am. Hi, hi, you're hi on, Renee.
0: You're on with Elizabeth tonight. Hello. Oh.
3: So, um, I have a six-year-old son, and um, you know, my struggle, probably since he was one, and since he was one or two years old, has been the whining. And I thought, you know, as they get older, they would eventually grow out of that. But um, it's consistent and frequent every day. There's whining about this or that, and so you know, I feel like I've tried a lot of different things, but nothing has really worked. Ah, uh, what do you
1: think? Well, <laughs> Renee, the first thing is is that you're normal and so is your son, because whining is what I call one of the top three. Yeah. Bussing, tantrums, and whining uh, in this age group. Part of it is how we respond to whining, and believe it or not, Renee, most of us whine back. Honey, don't whine it <laughs> you whining right. has to do that, and then we're whining back. I say when your child starts whining, kneel down, crouch down, get eyeball to eyeball, look him in the eye and say, honey, take a deep breath. (sighs) Now tell mommy with your words what you want. Okay. And then he's listening. A lot of children whine because, one, they don't take the time to think about what they're trying to communicate, and you're distracted with other things, and they really don't know how to get your attention. So eyeball to eyeball, take a deep breath, tell me what you want. And that doesn't mean you're going to say yes, but at least then he's using his big boy voice. And a lot of kids don't really clearly understand the difference between whining and his big boy voice. So do a little lesson. When you whine, you sound like this. (laughs) When you use your big boy voice, this is how you sound. Yeah. That's a good idea.
0: All right, Renee. So take a deep breath and tell Dr. Sophie and Elizabeth what you want. (laughs) So that's what you got to do. I would do. like
3: my my son to stop whining. Exactly. So, so you think eventually, that. eventually, you know, if, if I keep doing this, you know, after a week or so, I would see that the whining will decrease?
1: You will definitely you see a, yes. improvement, Renee, but you know what? It never goes away because teenagers still whine from time to time. It's just different. Oh, it's, a, it's about
0: different <laughs> things, and it's a little deeper.
1: Right, (laughs) absolutely, you can get a control of this, so it's not a daily annoyance for you. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for calling in. You're welcome. That was interesting, but I'm sure that's a lot of times what I see, I'm sure you too, Elizabeth, that what the parent is oftentimes saying about the child, they're doing themselves.
1: Oh, absolutely. We become the teacher.
0: Yeah, the role model. It's tough. So anyway. Back to discipline for a minute. You see that as what a family defined thing? Because many people have no idea. Many married couples before they get married or before they decide to have a child don't even talk about, you know, how they're going to parent, how they're going to discipline and come to some kind of shared agreement. What do you think?
1: Well, many parents never do that ever during their parenting career. They just go one foot in front of the other day by day and they'll be, you know, getting into issues with their child over the same things day after day after day without taking a breath and saying, Well, you know, we're having these tantrums, they're happening on a regular basis. What's causing them? How should we solve them? And so it's a matter of, you know, being more a thoughtful parent rather than a reactive parent. Yeah,
0: using a combination of your head and your heart, not just your heart and your emotion driving things.
1: Absolutely.
0: What are your thoughts about video games?
1: Well, you know, you can't avoid them, and you don't want to. Our children live in an electronic world, and you want them to be part of that, you know, because it will be part of their career, whatever they choose. They need to know how to communicate with a computer from a young age. Right. But we need to be careful what kind of games they're using and how often, and never, ever, ever at bedtime, because you'll mess up their bedtime routine. They'll be staying up too late. They'll be having nightmares. Right. Look at the age limits on the video games. They're there for a reason. Because someone like you has looked at them and said, this is appropriate for age 10 and up. Right. If you give it to a seven-year-old, they're going to be seeing images that they're not prepared and don't understand. So yes, absolutely let them have the video games, but make sure you are monitoring what they're doing and how often they're doing and set a limit. Make sure most of their free time is outside or playing, building, creating, reading with enough computer time so that they're versed in that and can able to get along in this world.
4: Got it. All right, let's do a voicemail. Hi. Dr. Sophie. This is Don. I have a question about today's topic about navigating everyday decisions. I have a nine-year-old son, and it seems that most everything I ask him to do that he doesn't want to do, whether it's homework or going to bed or most anything, ends up in his mind becoming a negotiation, and he'll agree to do something, if he gets something in return, I'll go to bed now if you give me an extra dessert tomorrow, or I'll do my homework for 20 more minutes if I can then have 20 minutes tacked on to TV time. And the the temptation is to give into it because I want him to do whatever task I'm asking him to do. But then I... I get some distance on the situation and say, why am I negotiating with a (laughs) nine-year-old? So I'm trying to balance getting the task done versus being in this endless stream of negotiations where invariably he gets something that he wants for doing something he has to do. So I look forward to your um, your view on the situation. Thank you. Interesting question. What do you think, Elizabeth?
1: It's a great question because Don really nailed it when he said there's a balance between getting the task done and negotiation. Negotiation takes two people. One person cannot negotiate. So decide what things are negotiable and let your child have some experience in that. I like the idea of 20 more minutes of homework equals 20 minutes of TV. But don't negotiate over every single thing. Bedtime is bedtime. At 8 o'clock, there is no negotiating.
2: Right. You're going to
1: do your chores. There is no negotiating. Right. And we start negotiating with kids usually at about potty training age. I'll give you M&Ms if you'll sit on the potty. Right. So we want to be careful. We don't work up to, you know, I'll clean my room if you'll give me a pony.
0: Right. But, you know, in Beverly Hills, it's I'll give you a Range Rover or something if you clean and take out the trash.
1: Right, and we know what happens there. We're Absolutely. on our third Range Rover because the other two have been in an accident.
0: Exactly. So, so, yeah, they're dangerous slopes to begin. And I think, you know, telling parents simple ways, you know, appropriate negotiating tools is really the only way to be. But you can't give in or no, and overindulge. I think...
1: Good routines get us past that. Absolutely. If you do your homework for an hour every day after dinner, there's nothing to negotiate. Exactly. That's what we do. Right. If your dishes go in the dishwasher after you've eaten, there's no negotiation there. That's just what you do.
0: Exactly. And I think the the more routine or structure you have for your children and your family, the safer and the more predictable life is for everybody and the less emotional eruptions you'll have. Do you ever find that...
1: rest for you. Yes. Because you're not always making up new rules every day. I'm a big believer in chore charts.
0: Yep, me too. Me too. Put
1: the chart up on the wall. They can cross it off when it's done. It's very simple. It's very easy. Every day is the same. The chart's in the same place, and uh, everyone can relax.
0: What do you tell parents when they say, should I do my homework with my child?
1: You should be in the room, doing your own work, doing your own thing. Be available to answer questions. If you're going to be doing your child's own work, then you're going to lead up to that point where you're writing his college essays, and he gets in college and doesn't know what he's doing. Exactly. And that happens way before that. So be there to ask, uh, to answer questions. But basically, it's his homework, not right. your
4: homework.
0: Exactly. What do you think about playtime? Should you? And, and this is not. This is for obviously like five to six and up. Do you integrate that again, like a negotiating? issue if there's things that need to be done as well or you just build your structure and in that structure is that playtime piece?
1: Well, one thing for parents to remember is a child's playtime is his job. It's his work. It's how he learns. And so it's really not something to be scheduled but more what his life is all about. And a child can load the dishwasher as part of play just as easily as he can line up his matchbook, you know, matchbox card. Right. And so understanding that playtime is your child's main focus and you build around that. So there should be plenty of play throughout the day.
0: Okay. And then what about a school age child? Does their job transition that
1: downtime as well and part of it is knowing your kids. They're all different. Some children can come home from school, get right to homework, get it done and then get on with play. Others desperately need a break for an hour to just unload, relax take a deep breath and then do their homework. So get to know your kids and understand if you have more than one, they're not going to be all exactly alike. It's okay to be flexible within your rules.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I I see parents oftentimes they're afraid to give that child that downtime or that half hour, hour break when they get home from school because they're afraid they're not going to get them back up and engaged. But I think, you know, it's about how you parent number one, but also trust your child. And if they're not able to do it, you'll learn. Otherwise they will get back up. They need a break.
1: Right, and look at yourself. How many people work a full day, come home, they want to have a glass of wine or watch a little TV or change their clothes into their comfy sweats right. before they get on to paying the bills and checking their email. Exactly. So, you know, sometimes kids need that little break just to catch their breath.
0: I agree. All right, let's do a live caller. Lynn, are you with us? I'm here. How are you? You're on with Elizabeth and I. What is your parenting pitfall question?
5: My parenting question is the um, modern-day Instagram. Yes. And... um how do I allow my child to be part of it because she wants to feel, she's 12 and she wants to feel part of the group and everyone putting their pictures up and commenting and all that. But at the same time, I I don't want her to be that deep into it. So it's kind of like allowing her to be, I guess, so to speak, cool, but not going over and, you know, becoming obsessed. And well, so be, how do I set those? Well,
0: limits? before we answer that, I just want to know, what are your house rules as far as technology? Do you check your children's... Yeah, iPhones all that URL addresses you know their facebook
5: pages i know everything she okay. doesn't have a facebook there's no facebook the only social networking that she's on is instagram and um i'm on it and i'm i'm actually on instagram too just to follow her and see what pictures come up what her friends put up so i'm i'm monitoring it but at the same time when is enough enough because you know it seems like it's an all day event where
1: people are friends are posting stuff and they want to comment on it but how do you
0: How do you manage that? How do you manage
1: it? Elizabeth? It's a great question, Lynn. I think it's just the same as any electronics. There needs to be a time limit. You can do it from when you get home from school for an hour until homework starts. Or, you know, you log in and 30 minutes later the kitchen timer beeps and that means you log out. The other thing that helps, I think, with a 12- or 13-year-old is have them write you a paper. Have them go on research and find out the pros and cons of kids doing, you know, this kind of thing. And have her come to you and tell you, open up the dialogue how is this good for me, how is it not good for me, what are the rules, what makes it safe, what is not safe to post versus what is safe to post, you know, what are the dangers, and have her teach you, she may learn some interesting things that will open up some conversation between you, and have her help set the rules, she'll feel more in control, she'll feel part of it, she'll be more likely to cooperate with a happy face.
5: Okay, I mean, we've done that part of it. She's not allowed to post pictures of herself and it could be pictures of other things. But we've done that. It's just it seems like it's an all day affair with these kids where they are and if you don't respond well, or if you don't put up so many pictures then you're not Then feeling, you're not cool. You know.
0: Yeah. Exactly. But the bottom and line the is cool
5: factor. Yeah,
0: the bottom line is you have to have the parameters that are comfortable for you and your family and like Elizabeth said, use a timer ding, it's over with, we move on to something else. Okay. It almost becomes a scheduled piece of her day and something she works and looks forward to.
1: And once she becomes used to the schedule and used to the ding the first few times, she's going to say, no, Mom, but ten more. And you have to be firm, Lynn, and say, no, honey, timer rang, shut it off, or I will, and then you can get back on tomorrow. And once you've done that two or three times, she knows you mean it, she knows the rules, then you stop arguing about it, and she's on to doing other things, and she'll be a lot happier for it as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. great. Thank Thank you 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 so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thank you. We're going to do one more voicemail, and then i want to ask you a question about one of your
1: books. Hi, Dr. Sophie. It's Suzanne calling. I have recently gotten married to someone with uh, three children, ranging from their early to late teens. And um, it's been very difficult. They don't respect me. They kind of, I think, blame me for his, their, their father's breakup. And I just wondered what suggestions you have for me to handle the situation. Thank you.
0: Take it away, Elizabeth.
1: Very common. And I would say the first thing, Suzanne, is be patient with your kids. I mean, um, you don't want to just charge in and expect to all of a sudden change all their routines and how they interact with their father. The more you're willing to step back and let them do the things they've been doing without always having to be part of it and give them a little time to acclimate and to get used to you. You don't want to be their best friend and chummy chum, but nor do you want to be instant stepmother. You want to work your way into their heart a little at a time. Since there's three of them, take them out one at a time, out for lunch or out for a coffee or to the mall for a little shopping or to a movie. One-on-one, they'll be able to connect with you as a human being. You'll start to create that relationship that you can build from.
0: Right, and, you know, you said something in your first statement back to our caller that your children, you know, that's the issue, I think, and so she needs to see them as her children in an integrated transitional way like you just described instead of it becoming instant family that stuff doesn't blend overnight that's a lot of work it's one-on-one like you said it's group bonding one-on-one bonding and it's a process
2: right
1: right i just worked with a mom who, who married a man who had a 10 year old son and dad and son read in bed every night for an hour And she first let them continue that for a few weeks, and then she just sat on the couch in the room with a magazine, so she was there for a little while, then she would leave. Then eventually she said, can I just stay for the first story? And over time, I finally got an email from her that said, he actually invited me to be part of reading tonight. Right. It was a process that she let unfold, and she was happy, he was happy, dad was happy, and they started to become a family together. Right,
0: because the, the more you force it, the worse it is. And then the other thing that makes it not blend well is if you ignore all that.
1: Right, you certainly don't want to ignore it. Had- and you want to be aware. I mean, these kids are teenagers. There's going to be some anger. There's going to be, you know, some difficulty, and you overcome that with love and patience. You're the grown-up. They're the kids. Remember that? Right.
0: And I mean, every child wants their mother and father together and they're going to see anything as the issue that created the break. But don't take it personally. Move forward and stay consistent and on the outside and work your way in. So tell me, I want to ask you a quick question before I let you go. Perfect Parenting is one of your books, correct? It is. I never knew there was such a thing.
1: There isn't. And actually, ah. it's a perfect parenting solutions. So the parent's not perfect, the solutions are.
2: Got so basically,
1: it. if we're, you know, handling a child who is tantruming, if you tantrum back, stop it, stop it, stop it, that's not going to work. Oof. A perfect solution may be to find out, first of all, why he's having a tantrum. He's hungry, he's tired, solving that problem, taking him to a quiet corner and saying, when you calm down, then we'll talk, you know, responding to things in the right way can really make a difference and can really make your life easier.
0: So combo head and heart, not a lot of emotion driving the whole deal.
1: Absolutely.
0: God, Elizabeth, where have you been all my life? I should have married you. (laughs) So I find you at www.pantley.com, correct? That works. We got your books. We got your expert advice. You're really a wonderful guest. Thank you for giving us your time and expertise today.
1: Thank you. Have a great day.
0: You too. Thanks. So that was Elizabeth Pantley. She's a parenting educator, very delightful woman, very smart, very educated, lots of experience, and it really shows. And she's got a lot of uh, really great books out there, I think 12 of them in 18 languages. So hit her up, com. And that was our show for today. It is potential parenting pitfalls, and our guest was Elizabeth Pantley. I'd like to say thank you to all of you, all the listeners, callers, voicemails, emails. It was really great. Good questions. There's a lot of great information there. Do our podcast. They're all on our website, which is www.drsophie.com. Voicemail, I'm always available, 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW or 1-855-767-4966, 24-7. Leave your messages. I'll get back to you. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook for any updates. Visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And most importantly, don't forget to sweep.
3: But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. You gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. I know it's all